Hello, how's everybody doing? I'm Christian Wagner, and this is Militant Thomist. So, how's it going, Alan? I am doing well. It's it just it's Saturday. It's eight a.m. I just got up, ready to talk about the Crusades. Okay, let me adjust your uh, mic volume real quick because you're coming in a little bit loud. Okay, say something real quick. Hi. Okay, you're good now. Okay. So. Let inter introduce yourself to everybody. My, my name is Alan. I have a uh, channel that's called Alan Rule, A L L A N space R U H L. Go subscribe. Uh, I've got a w website, alanrule.com. I don't write there much anymore, but it, it's up there if you want my five years of writing. Um, I, um, I'm from Canada. Uh, born and raised in Alberta, which um, is straight above the province, uh, the state of Montana. So, if you guys want a r reference point, I've been Catholic all my life, and I love history. There you go. Do you have any uh, formal training in history, or is it kind of more of a hobby? Oh, it's a hobby. I, I my, my 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 education's in engineering. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that, that's all I got a degree in, Bachelor of Science in Engineering <laughs> from the University of Alberta. The same uh, university that J Jordan Peterson went to, by the way. I'm from the really? same Yeah, I'm from the same city as him. There you go. Yeah. You heard it first here. So um, today we're going to be talking about the Crusades. Kind of the way I want to go about this is we're going to have a little bit of a general introduction to the Crusades. And then after that, we're going to just dispel what all of you and I myself heard in our middle school history classes about how evil the Catholic Church is. So um, do you want to tell us first, let's get into um, the the Crusades. I think it's one through seven, and then some scholars debate about eight, nine, and stuff like that. Let's get into the, the Middle Eastern Crusades first. So would you tell us a little bit about what was going on there and how... Give us a little bit of a landscape. Okay. Well, uh, of course, you um, in the 4th century, um, Christianity really takes off once Constantine converts. And by the end, about the year 400, the, the empire is about 95% Christian. And so that includes uh, around the Mediterranean. Um, but keep in mind, for for the first about about eight hundred years, Christianity is bigger in the East than it is in the West. In the seventh century, you have something called Islam, which comes out of Arabia and conquers two thirds of the Christian w w world. It goes all the, all the way up into Spain, uh, conquers Egypt, Carthage. Um, captures Antioch. It does not get Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, but uh, it takes away a lot of land from the Byzantine Empire. And, of course, Islam conquers non-Christian civilizations further east, like Persia and beyond that. But, but, but after about 100 years, this jihad kind of stops. It ran out of energy. And then the Christian and Muslim world kind of reach an equilibrium. And slowly in the next two or three hundred years, the Christians start to ch chip back at the land. You got uh, Spain, uh, the Reconquista. It's slow, but it's in one direction. Uh, you got some islands in the Mediterranean being taken back. 
uh, you've got uh, the Byzantine, the most famous Byzantine Empire, Basil the Bulgar Slayer, taking back. He takes back northern Syria, and like so, so it, it slowly we're starting to come back. Uh, and in fact, in 979, I believe, I think Basil the Bulgar Slayer captures Antioch. So Antioch's back in Christian hands. Now, um, in the 11th century, there's two important things that happen. One is, um, well, well, the first one is the church reforms in the Latin church. They're often called the Gregorian reforms. I don't like that term because it implies Pope Gregory VII did everything when about half a dozen popes were involved. But yeah, and so going out east, you have uh, the Turks are on the border of the Byzantine Empire, the modern border of Turkey. So, um, so Romanus IV, who's a Byzantine Empire at the time, takes his army and marches them out to central Anatolia and engages the Turks in 1071 AD at a battle called the Battle of Manzikert. He loses. Uh, he's taken prisoner, has to pay a ransom. He gets treated fairly well, surprisingly. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I won't get into that too much, but it's something to look into if you like history. And then, so, um, long story short, within about 20 years, Probably about 95% of Anatolia gets annexed by the Turks. And they also spill down into the Middle East as well. Now, at this point, uh, I think the year, I can't remember the exact year. It was 1075, I think. The Turkish Empire splits in two. So the the main Seljuk Empire is in charge of the Middle East. And the, the Turks in Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey, are called the Sultanate of Rum a room basically a play on rome right because they're the roman empire now right okay so basically the the papacy is in pretty good shape after these reforms and the byzantine empire uh alexius comninus who's a very competent empire there's actually a good biography on him by his daughter anna comninus called the alexiad a very detailed 400 page biography it's a primary source as well i've got it over there great book it's cheap it's available you can get it published by penguin um so um then you uh um then he applies to help from the pope pope urban a second pope urban a second um uh basically calls a council at clermont in france and makes a big speech there uh there's about five or six accounts of the speech. Um, and um, so, and it's all available online. And basically, he calls all the Knights of Europe to go on a pilgrimage. The word crusade is kind of anachronistic. That's what we call it now. Back then, it was a pilgrimage, but an armed pilgrimage. Instead of going to pray in a church, the church all the churches have been overrun. The Turks were killing pilgrims that go to the church because, because keep in mind, although Arabs had taken over Christian land, it had gotten to a point where they kind of had a working relationship with the Christians. It, it was not great for the Christians, but not bad. But then the Turks come, who are completely foreign to all of this, and they start being very bad to the Christians and to the Arabs as well, even though they're also 
part of the Islamic faith. So um, then a, a year later, a year after this council, they uh, join up at Constantinople. There are two waves of the first crusade, three actually. The first one is called the People's Crusade, which is like farmers with pitchforks and they didn't really know what they were doing. They had a lot of zeal, but they... So uh, Alexius Comnenus ferried them across the Bosphorus, so they get into Turkish territory. They sack a few forts, but once they come up against the main Turkish army, they're finished. Um, then you had the main portion of the crusade. Eventually, they're ferried across. Now, these like are knights with their vassals. They're well-equipped. They're not farmers with pitchforks. So, um, of course, they go with Alexius Comnenus. Now, uh, the the Crusaders have a uh, an arrangement with Alexius Comnenus uh, that if there's former land of the Byzantine Empire, they will give it back to him. A few Crusaders didn't like this, but it's like, oh, well, that's why we came here. So uh, the first city that they wanted to restore back to Christian rule was Nicaea, which... Uh, the Council of Nicaea, it's a famous city. It's about 60 miles away from Constantinople across the Bosphorus. They marched there first. And that was actually the capital of the new Sultanate of Rum, the Turkish Empire. Uh, and so then they um, they managed to siege it and take it. Kilij uh, Arslan, the Turkish Sultan, was not in the city at the time. He was outside the city. He brought a re relief force up to the city and he's like, oh, this will be a piece of cake because he thought it was more farmers with pitchforks, right? <laughs> but these were like actual knights, actual trained soldiers. So Kili Jarslan was routed and Nicaea is restored to the Byzantine Empire. Now, at this point, the, uh, the Crusaders march through Anatolia because they ultimately want to get to Jerusalem. Now, they're being followed by the Byzantine troops doing like small mop-up operations, nothing major. And then they're starting to get through Anatolia, and then they're they're ambushed by the Turks, Kili Jaroslan again, at the Battle of Doralam. Now, this is an impressive battle because the, the vanguard of the Crusaders had, was five or six, like about half a day ahead of the main force. So it's like 200 people. Like 200 knights held off thousands of Turks. Well, a few knights rushed to get the main army. It's like, whoa, get back. We're being attacked, you know? And so, and then uh, Raymond of Toulouse and the main army shows up and routes the um, the Crusaders. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, the Turks. Okay. So... Then the goal is to get to the city of Antioch. So uh, they keep going down. Eventually they get to Antioch, which is a huge city. It's under Turkish control of the Seljuk Empire. This is a separate Turkish empire. Uh, and it's a huge city and there's a very long siege. And then eventually, because of a guard that they befriend, they manage to take the city. And so they take the city, finally, and then they find out that the, the sultan of the Seljuk Empire, Kerbaga, 
is coming up with a huge army. So it's like, uh-oh. So they go out and defeat Kerbaga. Now, Jerusalem had been under Seljuk control, but while this is happening, while their main army is getting defeated and they're losing uh, the uh, city of um, of Antioch, it's causing uh, a loss of power. So the Fatimids, who had Jerusalem prior to the Turks, these are an African Shia uh, group that was based out of Egypt, took back control of Jerusalem. So they took Jerusalem from the Turks. And me, uh, the, the Crusaders have just taken Antioch from the Turks. So you have... Um, uh, and at this point, there's actually some correspondence between the Fatimids and the Crusaders. They're like, hey, you know, the Turks are my enemy too. Let's, let's team up and try to... No, <laughs> Crusaders didn't want that. Crusaders wanted Jerusalem. So they go down to Jerusalem and um, they manage to take the city. At first, keep in mind, this is three, four years into the crusade. They were low on supplies, fatigued. Um, and so they they get to Jerusalem. They're sieging it. It's not that effective. Some Venetians had come to the coast and dropped off a bunch of wood so they could make some siege engines, which helped. And eventually Jerusalem fell in 1099. And people will tell you, oh, they slaughtered everyone inside the walls. No, that's a myth. But yeah, they took the city by force and and there were a good chunk of people who died. I, I won't deny that. So they finally take Jerusalem, and it's like, wow, for the first time in, in hundreds of years, Jerusalem is back in Christian uh, control. Um, and then, but then there's bad news. There's a Fatimid army coming from Egypt to relieve them, to try to take Jerusalem back, and they're camped out in Ascalon. Which is in, which is the same as Ashkelon in modern day Israel, and they're about to come and attack. And the, the, the Crusaders know they're going to lose unless they catch them by surprise. So instead of staying in behind the walls of Jerusalem, they send out an army, boom, to crush them at Ashkelon. They appoint uh, Baldwin the first as the first king of Jerusalem. And at this point, the First Crusade is pretty much over. So, um, and long story short, they had four Crusader states. Um, they had the Kingdom of Jerusalem, which is like modern day Israel. They had the County of Tr Tripoli, which was like modern day L L Lebanon, approximately. It's not exact. The, the borders aren't the exact same. You had the Principality of Antioch up in the north where they'd captured Antioch. And they had op they'd also captured Edessa in Turkey. So the county of Edessa was the fourth crusader state. Um, and uh, yeah, they had those four crusader states set up at, by about the year, by approximately 1100. I think the county of Tripoli was 1104 or 8 or something like that, but approximately four crusader states by then. 
And uh, yes, yeah, so that's essentially the end of the First Crusade, and it kind of paves the way for all the other, uh, the subsequent Crusades. So I have a quick question. Um, I was thinking about this when you were talking. It seems like uh, from how you were how you were speaking about the relationship between the Crusaders and then the the natives, if you want to if you want to put it like that, mm-hmm. that the we we like to think of Islam in the Middle East as a monolith. It doesn't yeah. seem like there was it was a monolith. It seems like it was a oh, group no. of competing factions, and the Crusaders were just another competing faction within that group and they happen to be the ones that win and they just happen to be from a different area. Is that, is that a correct um, analysis of the situation right there? Yeah, that's true. And that's actually throughout the history of the, the crusader States uh, that they, they try to play off one Islamic group against another and cause infighting. Of course, the, the Muslims tried to do the same. They tried to put the, like the principality of Antioch against the kingdom of Jerusalem and let the, there's a lot of civil war on both sides, a lot of infighting, and there's tons of examples I can give. But but back to the First Crusade, yeah. So um, the like a lot of m- Muslims who don't like Christianity will say like, well, that that Christians had no right to be in the Holy Land. It's like, well, who had the right to be there? Was it a bunch of Shia Muslims from Africa? Was it the Turks who were from Central Asia? Because keep in mind, 20 years earlier, the Turks had come through the, the the Turks, like each time we think of Turks, we think of Turkey, right? The Turks are actually from Asia, Turkmenistan. Have you heard of Turkmenistan? That's where the Turks are originally from. And Uzbekistan, those are the Turkic states. There's about 10 Turkic states. Um, but but in unfortunately in the West, the only Turks we're exposed to are ones from Turkey. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying that gives us a false view of what the Turkic people are. And so, yeah, basically you had a whole bunch of foreigners going for Jerusalem. And like, if you take a look throughout the Crusades, all of the leaders who are fighting against the Crusaders, all the Islamic leaders are foreign to the land. You've heard of Saladin. Saladin was a Kurd from northern Iraq. He was actually from the same city Saddam Hussein was from. And um, eventually, the guy who really did damage to the Crusaders was a guy named Baibars. And Baibars, this is about 1260s, 1270s. He's from Central Asia. He's from even further away. He's from the Caucasus. Like, he's from close to where Khabib Nurmagomedov is from. And same with Caliban, who finished off the county of Tripoli. He was from the same area because basically uh, the uh, the, the uh, Ubids had a slave army. Now, according to Islamic law, uh, Muslims aren't allowed to own Muslim slaves. But not every Islamic empire followed Islamic law fully, just like not every Christian civilization follows Christianity fully. Uh, and so they had Islamic slaves. And in 1254, I don't know the exact year offhand, um, when King Louis IX is crusading against uh, against Egypt, trying to capture Egypt to trade it for Jerusalem, um, there's a coup and Baibars overthrows the Ayyubids in Egypt. 
And th these are known as the Mamluks, the Mamluks. And so they take over. These were slaves. Again, technically a Muslim can have a Muslim slave, but again, that's, that, that's how they operated back then. And uh, yeah, he was from way out there. So, and basically there were a ton of Islamic groups. Few of them had like, yes, J Jerusalem had been a part of various Islamic empires, but those Islamic empires had their capital far away. And it was kind of like an outlying region. So, uh, so it seems the way in which you're describing it is that the Crusades were, or at least the war surrounding the Crusades, it's a very modern phenomena, like uh, how we would think of um, the Korean War, where you have these empires far away fighting over these uh, very, uh, these regions which are important to the fight between the two powers, but it isn't uh, an invasion per se of some superpower into another superpower's territory, but it's these uh, these kind of satellite wars going on between yeah. uh, various groups in these uh, territories that they're not um, striking at the heart of their empires, which ironically, the ones striking at the heart of the empires were, uh, were the, were the Muslims in, uh, in later uh, battles that happened in uh, what was that 15th and 16th century, where you had after the fall of the Byzantine empire, and uh, yeah. going all the way up into um, Central Europe. It's very interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah, and uh, keep in mind, Sultan Mehmet the Conqueror, the guy who conquered Constantinople, he, he um, like, he's called the Conqueror because he conquered Constantinople. But that was the beginning of his career. Like, not long after that, he invaded Serbia, he invaded Hungary, he invaded Albania. Albanians held him off for about 25 years but then he eventually captures albania uh there's actually a really good primary account on that uh called the siege of skodra I've, I've got in my library there that's off topic though then he goes into italy and then eventually he dies probably poisoned by his son bayazid um but um and then so basically his army got flushed out. But yeah, they were attacking the core of the Christian world. Like, um, yeah, so like this is heart of the Christian world. They got like one or 200 kilometers away from Rome uh, during that invasion in the 1480s. Man, that's this is this is very interesting because it seems like this is the exact opposite Um of the sort of typical account that you would get of a bunch of native peaceful Muslims hanging mm -hmm. out in, uh, in Jerusalem. And then you get the, uh, the evil Pope who wanted uh, to wage war and then tricked all the crusaders into believing they would get out of hell free card and they'd be able to get their wives out of hell. And then they just all go down and uh, slaughter a bunch of innocent people. This is, this is almost the exact opposite that's going on here. This was really a, seems like a war for the life of Europe itself from Islamic aggression. Well, Thomas, I got a question for you. Have you seen the movie Kingdom of Heaven? Yes, I have. Now, most people think that, like, you know, they watch that movie and just think, yeah, that's how it was like, you know, it's a movie after all. How could it be wrong? But um, that movie is such an abomination. 
let me give you an example of how criminal that movie is one example there's several i could give um there was a guy named reynald of chatillon this renegade crusader uh, who was not a good guy. If you read Crusade Chronicles, they talk very n- negatively about him. This, this is the Crusaders talking. So, Ch- Chatillon has his territory. I believe it, it, it. his castle Carrick is on the other side of the Jordan. So, it goes quite a way. Now, Saladin's empire kind of goes around that into Syria. He had Egypt and Syria. And so, he sends a caravan uh, to um, uh, and the the well the a thing that happens in the uh, the movie King Guy of Jerusalem ghost he's like Reynald give me a war and he gives him a sword he's like that's what I do you know and then he hijacks a caravan passing through his territory and Saladin's sister was part of that caravan. Uh, of course, that whole thing with Guy telling Reynald to give him a war is completely fake. It didn't happen. But he did raid the caravan. That's true. And then he took all the people of the caravan hostage in his castle. And he took all the goods. And then basically Saladin talks to Guy. It's like, look, I know we have a peace treaty. Because that's true. Crusaders and Saladin had a peace treaty at that point. And he's like, I don't want to break the peace treaty, but you have to give him, you have to get him to give me my stuff back. And so then King Guy tells Reynald, give him his stuff back. You're not supposed to do that. And then he's like, no, you have no right to tell me what to do. I don't have the exact quote, but he's like, my castle is my land and I decide what to do. What, basically, he blows off King Guy. And so Saladin breaks the treaty and goes to war with uh, the, the Crusaders. So King Guy, who tried to solve the whole situation in Kingdom of Heaven, he's the one who started the whole situation. Like, it's pure character assassination. And, and, and I'm not a huge fan of King Guy. But, I mean, tell a story like it is, you know? So why why do you think... Um, there's been this sort of movement because to my understanding, uh, when, when you go into the Middle East, let's say 75 years ago, well, I guess over a hundred years ago, um, and you ask people about the crusades, they would say what crusades. So why has there in the last century been this, uh, movement towards, uh, highlighting the Crusades as an example of the uh, evils of European society in the 11th through 13th century? Well, that's a good question, because Thomas Madden, who's a who's a good historian, uh, ha- has talked a bit about this. He talked about, okay, the, 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 the last Crusader state in the Middle East falls in 1291. Okay, the, the, the Crusaders are completely flushed out at that point. Um, and then that area was occupied by the Mamluks for a few hundred years, then the Ottomans. And yeah, eventually the Crusades were forgotten. Meanwhile, in y- y- Europe, uh, the Crusades were always remembered. And uh, they had written positively about Saladin who was like, because King Richard the Lionheart, who fought against Saladin, um, 
although they fought against each other, he had a lot of respect for R R Richard, or he had a lot of respect for Selden. So he goes back and tells about this great l leader he fought there. And like, there's like a ton of medieval li literature about Saladin talking about like how he secretly converted on his deathbed to Christianity and stuff. Now, th th that's not true, obviously, but but still, th th they admired the guy. That's why they said things like that. And then, and then eventually, you get to the colonial period. The that area is colonized by the French and the English, although it's not the same French and English of christendom this is post enlightenment right um and so the german and so th they told them about the crusades so they essentially relearned about the crusades from the colonialists and a thing that's ironic is um eventually come the 1920th century colonialism is is on the way down it's 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 very negative it's not good to own colonies it's a mark of shame and so they kind of looked at the crusade as like proto-colonialism, uh, like prior to the ages of, uh, of, of Columbus, uh, European colonialism. And so since colonialism had a bad name, the crusades had a bad name and the, the Muslims in the area picked that up. And so they, um, yeah, that's how they learned about the crusades. And that's how they learned about Saladin too. Saladin was uh, a forgotten monarch no one knew about him until about until the late 1800s early 1900s when um because the, they taught him about them when the when the the kaiser of germany in the late 1800s came to damascus to to visit it he, he's like i want to see the tomb of the great saladin and so they just find some like low some like small tomb like the same thing you the same thing you, you'd have for any other king and he was so insulted about this that he funded a, a mausoleum for saladin and places a, a wreath on the mausoleum a bronze wreath that says from one great emperor to another and, and so basically the europeans taught the 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 muslims and arabs in the middle east about the crusades so really uh were we we were the ones who taught them their own their own history or was it kind of For the a, most a different yeah that's that's weird when when was that did this all this forgetting happen in the in the middle east because it seems like they were just as scholarly as uh, medieval europe would have been uh, at least during uh, the era of the 13th well, 14th centuries it's kind of a myth like th th there's kind of this impression that during the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, the Islamic world was super advanced and intellectual and the Christian world was all backward and superstitious. There's some truth to that, but if you take a look at the Islamic world, yes, they were advanced in two areas specifically, in Spain and in Iraq. That's where the two big intellectual centers were. Pretty much everywhere else was just as backward as the Christian world. If you go to the year Arabia in the year a thousand it's just as backward as like yemen if you go to these countries that these weren't the advanced muslims and so like th this was kind of like on the fringe of the christian uh w w world 
This was like on the fringe of the Christian world. And keep in mind, after the Crusaders were kicked up in 1291, they were um, in uh, in 1291, they're taken over by the Mamluks, completely foreign to the region. Then the Ottomans, based out of Constantinople, in in 517, that's when I can't remember if it was Suleiman or Selim who ended up conquering the Middle East for the Turks. So, yeah, so the, the, when the, the people of Palestine think of foreign invaders, they're thinking of the 400 years of rule from the Turks, and prior to that, 200 years um, of Mamluks. So um, the the two things that you'll get from a, from a popular account of the Crusades, kind of I guess objections to the the lore of the of the Crusades, is first they will cite the motivating factors behind uh, the Crusaders going, like they were just promised uh, a, a plenary indulgence, and you're basically saying war for salvation, and then. Second, they will question the uh, the justice of the methods of fighting, which were found in the Crusaders. So those are the two points of attack that the that the secularist or the uh, the neo Muslim will um, will give against the Crusaders. So what do you what do you think about the first one about uh, the motivating factors behind crusading? Well, well, if you take a look uh, at at the time the Crusades are called in 1095, those Christian lands had been under Islamic occupation for hundreds of years, um, and no Crusade had been called. Uh, then. the Turks come on the scene. The Turks are completely new. They're completely foreign to, they're just as foreign as the Europeans. Um, and they show up and basically the Byzantine empire is, uh, is asking for help. So it's self-defense to come and restore these lands. So, so, so that's the first one. They're just helping this empire restore their lands from a foreign invader. And what was the second one again? I was muted. Sorry about that. So the, the motivating factors behind the Crusades, then also the, uh, the means in which the Crusades were done and uh, the question of whether it was a just war. Um, whether it was a just war, that's a hard one. Um, I think y y you can make arguments that it was, but there's also good arguments that it was not. Because uh, keep in mind, there's a first crusade. I think y you can argue the first crusade's a just war. Um, and then after that, like all the subsequent crusades were called to save the crusader states, not the Byzantine Empire. In terms of their tactics, their methods... Um, Their methods were really no different than the Islamic methods. Like, for example, yes, it, it was pretty brutal when the Crusaders sacked Jerusalem in 1099, whereas a lot of people contrast it to when Saladin took Jerusalem. He, uh, like, th there was no mass slaughter. And I think that the reason was because uh, the city surrendered under terms. He, uh, he's like, look, if you just pay me a ransom, 
and uh, I'll, I'll free you guys. And there's actually this story in Christian sources um, where Saladin is, um, he, he's sieging, uh, and his second in command is his brother. And they take Jerusalem, and his brother goes up to Saladin, and he's like, Saladin, I've helped you capture the city. I want a re re reward. And he's like, what? He's like, a thousand Christian slaves. And he's like, why do you want a thousand Christian slaves? And he's like, so I could give them their freedom. And then he frees a thousand Christian slaves. That's in a Christian source. So, I mean, that's that's a, f a feather in their cap. But at the same time, not every I Islamic leader was like that. When uh, Baibars took Antioch, he he pretty much killed everyone inside the city, save a few young, pretty females. Uh, and, and it was pretty ugly. Um, so, I mean, in terms of how their warfare was fought, it was fought pretty similarly to the Muslims, at least in terms of policy. So I'm going to transition into a few questions that we have in the in the chat. So Connor asks, why do you think God allowed the Catholics to lose the Holy Lands? Why isn't Jerusalem under Catholic control? Why did the Catholics fail? I put the failure of Orthodox down to schism. But the Catholic Church is the well, true church. Um, yeah, that's true. Like, And in terms of the schism, that happened prior to the Crusades. Of course, it's... The schism isn't an absolute event, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I would, uh, I, I don't know. Um, a, a lot of people think it was because of the sinfulness of the Christians, and that was normally like each time they, as soon as they lost Jerusalem to Saladin, basically the Pope called all of Europe. And keep in mind, it was not just loss of J Jerusalem, it was the loss of the, the true cross because they had lost that. Uh, a couple months before in the Battle of Hattin, um, a massive battle that Saladin won against the Crusaders prior to Jerusalem. And he executed most of the army, so the Crusaders really didn't have an army. Um, and yeah, so basically the Pope called on y y Europe to fast and to to do penance and, and pray a lot because they thought it was the sinfulness that allowed them to lose the the crusades was the okay i've got a whole talk on the fourth crusade yeah on um on elijah yassi's channel it's called underground catholicism or catholic underground i i can't remember it it's elijah yassi i got a two-hour talk on the fourth crusade i've pretty much read every primary source translated into english including some non-cheap ones i bought i i've read yeah. crusader sources Byzantine sources. Um, yeah, so just go see that video. Um, it, it, it's something that kind of got out of hand, but a lot of the fault is on the Byzantines as well, since they actually attacked the, the Crusader troops outside of Constantinople, both Alexius IV and Alexius V. So the, the, their hands aren't clean either. So uh, I'll say about that. But go check out the, the thing on Elijah Yassi's channel. Okay, now. So I feel like I saw a third question in there. Okay. 
So is it true that Urban II took down the 1054 excommunication? Keep in mind, the 1054 thing was very, th that was such a non-event at the time, and I can prove it. Like, for example, I have multiple, in my library there, I have multiple Byzantine chronicles that cover that period. And none of them mention the Serularius Cardinal Humber affair of 1054. They talk about Serularius doing this, that, and the other. But they don't talk about the uh, the famous mutual excommunication that we now look at as as when the communion was severed. Did Pope Urban undo that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I can't answer. I don't have that answer. Yeah, um, I've actually heard that a better connecting to our last question. I heard mm. that when we speak about the schism, it's better to actually have reference to the Fourth Crusade as a big event rather than to have the uh, 1054 mutual excommunication as the big event. Yeah, and I don't think you could pick one uh, date, but certainly things happened. Um, uh, like 1054, th that was a, a fissure in the in the relation, even though it was not as big, but yeah, 1204 and the subsequent 60 years after that, when the crusaders controlled Constantinople, uh, yeah, that pretty much at that point, this, the schism was firmly implemented because they take, uh, Constantinople back in 1261. And then 15 years later, not even, about 13 years later, they have the Council of Florence, which was a re reunion council. There'd be no point of a re reunion council if they weren't in schism. So uh, pretty much during the 13th century, they r realized that they were were apart. Like, if, if you go back to, like, the 1060s, 1070s, and you ask if the churches are apart, it'd be like, yeah, we're kind of fighting, but we're still one church, right? But I think the, yeah, like as you said, the 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 crusade, the fourth crusade, and the subsequent sixty-year control over Constantinople was was a huge blow. Okay, we have another question here from Kopo. How much of the sack of Zadar in Sarigrad was influenced by the Venetian economic interests? So Z Zadar, uh, keep him, um, at the time it was called Z Z Zara, the modern day Z Zadar in Croatia. It was part of the Kingdom of Hungary back then. Uh, yeah, and basically the Crusaders, the French Crusaders owed the v Venetian Crusaders a lot of money. And so then they're like, well, you can pay for some of it uh, by going and taking that city. And that was especially bad uh, because um, not only was Hungary a Christian city, or the Zadar a Christian city, but the king of Hungary was under a crusader vow. So not only have they attacked fellow Christians, they've attacked fellow crusaders. And um, um, I can't remember where I read this, but the Pope, I think he said this on the Third Crusade, but 
third crusade was right before the fourth crusade uh that um you're not allowed to attack christians unless they're obstructing the crusade and at that point the people in zadar were not basically that city was on the adriatic was being fought over by the venetian sorry and the hungarians they were fighting it it was going back and forth okay we got another question did the jews side with the catholics or the turks um neither they sided with the well, there were Jews in Jerusalem in 1099. The the Crusaders basically put them into a synagogue and burned the synagogue down. Not exactly our finest moment, but um, yeah, they they really didn't play a big role in the Crusades. The, the Jews they play a lot. Like yeah, th there's cases in history where the Jews have joined the Muslims against the Christians, but. But in the Crusades, the Jews don't really play a factor. Okay, and then I actually have a, a final question. I don't see any others in the chat, unless somebody wants to quick send while you answer this. But how? what is the approach of the, magis, the modern post-conciliar magisterium of the church? And then historically, since the Crusades, how has the magisterium viewed them, if they have uh, they viewed them at all in a certain way? Well... I know what John Paul II said. He apologized, I believe, for, I don't know the exact words, but atrocities committed during the Crusades. And there were some atrocities. I'm not going to say it's all good. Yeah, glory to the Crusades. But, um, yeah, and I, I, Pope Francis, I don't think he's commented on the Crusades. I can't remember anything Pope Benedict has specifically said on it either. I, I know John Paul II in 1992 apologized for some atrocities committed during the Crusades. Um, I don't recall Francis ever. I don't recall Francis ever speaking on them, to be honest. Um, okay, so we have a few more questions that came in last second. So Thomas asks, is there any serious historical evidence for all the Holy Grail Knight Templar legends around the time? Is it possible they found some kind of important relic? No, no, that's l later lore. Uh, they, they, they may have found the holy lance that pierced the side of Christ in Antioch. They may have found that. But there's some people that thought that was a fake. Because a couple years prior, they had the Crusaders were in Constantinople. And they housed a lot of r relics there. And if you go inside, uh, some people saw the Holy Lance in Constantinople. So they're like, how can this be the Holy Lance when we just saw the Holy Lance in Constantinople? Um, uh, so they may have found that. Uh, and of course, during the Fourth Crusade, a ton of uh, a ton of uh, a ton of artifacts were taken from Constantinople and uh, taken to. Um, taken back to Europe because there were a lot uh, a lot of relics in Constantinople taken to Europe including the Shroud of Turin and a whole bunch of other things uh, okay. uh, there's a question from Elijah here yep could the battle of Lepanto be considered a crusade yep it was a crusade Pope Pius V gave the standard plenary indulgence and blessed all the ships that was a crusade 
So what's the Battle of Lepanto? Give me the 30-second version. In 1571, actually, there was a question on Jeopardy about this. Uh, when the Ottoman Empire was at the height of its power, Pope Pius V uh, had a holy league led by Don Juan of Austria. Uh, it had some Spanish vessels, Genoese vessels, Venetian vessels, and they uh, basically, at the height of the Turkish power, smashed their navy. And uh, basically, that marked the high end. Uh, like, after that, they were slowly on the decline. But it was a miraculous victory after um, they had sacked the city of Famagusta on Cyprus and also the island of Corfu, which was n n not even a Catholic city at that time, but... Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it was a very important naval battle. October 7th, 1571. There's a feast, uh, Our Lady of the Rosary, because the Pope told all the Christians of Europe to pray the rosary for, and they considered, uh, they dedicated the victory to the Blessed Virgin. Absolutely based. Love to hear it. Yes. Okay, so uh, Father James asks, would you talk about the veracity of things like the Children's Crusade and such? So he's talking about the historical veracity. Like, any did any of this stuff happen, or is that just myth? Yes, yeah, that's true. The, the, this was not called by the Pope. There were just certain movements of children. I think there was two separate ones where a bunch of children kind of banded together and wanted to go on the Crusade. Um, it didn't work. They they ended up being captured and sold off as slaves. It's it's an ugly episode. But the Pope certainly didn't call that crusade. They were just a bunch of kids who were who didn't know better and were overambitious. So I have a quick question. What would um so speaking about crusades proper, what would um qualify something for a crusade like how how broadly can we use use this term um well it's uh it it it's well it's kind of used colloquially now like like this activist might be on a crusade against pornography or a crusade against abortion but it to to be a crusade uh, the Pope needs to declare it. At this point in time, the Pope would need to declare it and give the plenary indulgence. I believe the last one given, I could be wrong about this, um, was when uh, the Pope um, um, blessed the Polish against the Ottomans, like Jan Sobieski uh, and the the winged hussars against the uh, against the Turks, and at that time, pretty much after that, the Turks were finished. Like in the 1700s, the Turks are still there, but they're a shell of what they were in the the 14 and 1500s. So, um, were there any crusades against the Protestants? Uh, I believe. I believe. I heard this only recently, so I'm not 100% confirmed on this, but I believe Pope Sixtus V uh, blessed the Spanish Armada as a crusade. I'm not 100% sure on that. I've only come across that material recently. So um, I'd have to look into that. And, that would um, be that'd be quite cool because, I mean, the English certainly viewed it as a papal action against well, the uh 
Well, against you them. know how the uh, I think the only reason uh, the English won the Battle of the the Gravelines that was a famous battle with the Armada was because if you take a look at the commanders that the English had, they had Howell, Drake, and Hawkins. In terms of of, of naval commanders, these names were like creme de la creme. Now the Spanish had a really good commander who was undefeated, the Marquis of Santa Cruz. He had not ever lost a battle in his entire life, but he died of old age two months before the Armada sets out. So they put in some young guy who didn't know what he was doing really, and then he got crushed by the um, by 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 Howell Drake and Hawkins. Um, so. Okay, so there's uh, there's another one right here. I'm not even going to try to pronounce these names, but do you have any content or interviews about these? Uh, Big name battles. No. No? Okay. <laughs> Is that like, I'm assuming those names look like they're talking about Northern European Crusades? Uh, the, like the Crusades against uh, I would Pagans. imagine so. I, I'm not as familiar with that. I'm not as familiar with the Northern Crusades. I've got it on my l list. I got some books I need to buy. But I'm not as familiar with them. I think I've only read one primary source on them. And, and keep in mind, there's like about a few crusades it started with uh, uh the pagans would kill the missionaries and stuff like that but then there was some other stuff again i don't consider myself an expert on those okay so uh father james is asking about how do we know all this stuff about uh about the crusades like what what kind of first-hand accounts like for example in the sure. children's crusade we have uh, that they were taken by uh slavers like how do we how do we know this stuff well that that just were recorded in in chronicles like for example i was going to recommend at the end of this talk uh the new concise uh cruise history of the crusades this is kind of like an overall view of the crusades uh by by thomas madden the first to the ninth crusade fairly it, it it it's a chopper flying overview uh and the second was is if you want to get deep this is a primary source uh Fulche of chartres the conquest of jerusalem and it's available for like i paid about 35 dollars for this that's canadian so it's probably 20 something in american you can find it on amazon um yeah, no, there's a lot of people who took down stuff. Like like in my library, I've got a ton of primary sourcage. Rutledge, the, the academic publisher, has a, a lot, a lot of, uh, of primary sources available for sale. Tons. Like, it'll take me y years to read them all. Like, a lot of good stuff there. Okay, so... We have a bit of a subjective question, but are the Spanish the greater ca greatest Catholic crusader state? I prefer the no. English, but we'll ask about the Spanish. Uh, I'd go English because of Richard the Lionheart and King Edward the First, Prince go. Edward at the time, technically. But but the the thing about that is uh, the Spanish really didn't go on crusades because they were busy doing the Reconquista. Like, that's what they were. Now, the popes would bless those battles as crusades as well. For example, 1212, the Battle of Las Navas de Tolosa against the Almohad Caliphate. Huge battle in the history of the Reconquista. I got primary sources over there. But, yeah, but in, in terms of crusades in the, the Holy Land, Spaniards 
pretty much weren't there. There are a few small exceptions, but no. In the Holy Land, it's English and French. The eternal enemies. Okay, it looks like um, no more questions in the chat. So uh, thank you for being on. I'll plug anything you're doing, and then we'll uh, we'll send them off. Uh, yeah, just subscribe to my channel. Uh, my channel is Alan Rule, A-L-L-A-N space R-U-H-L. And, um, and uh, yeah, I got more content coming up there. And uh, thanks for having me on. And I, I wish everyone here a good Saturday. Yep. And make sure all of you uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow me. Subscribe to this channel. Uh, Facebook. I have a Facebook group. I have a Discord. Got the whole nine yards. Just go to my link tree and everything should be there. And become a patron so I can keep doing what I'm doing. And God bless. God bless.